I find that words from scripture often just come to me as a situationally appropriate. And what came to me right now was this, this verse from Psalm number 27. Ahad shalti meet Hashem, otavakesh. Ahad shalti meet Hashem, otavakesh. Shivti bevet Hashem. One thing have I asked of the Lord, this do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold God's beauty, to savor God's love and kindness. Friends, it's, it's remarkable for this um, son of Israel, whose home congregation is up on Granby Street, that I feel so spiritually perfectly at home, and that this feels so much like the house of God that I want to visit over and over again. So thank you for that. I also want to say specific thanks uh, I, I cleared it with him, so I won't be embarrassing him too much. I want to say specific thanks to Asa, who gave me a great gift at the beginning of this semester of adult formation, the gift of sharing with me words that I had used to begin an earlier sermon, standing in this very spot. And he quoted these words back to me, which were a Hebrew benediction, Baruch Adonai, blessed are you, O Lord, Eloheinu melech haolam, our God, sovereign of the universe. Shehecheyanu v'kiyamanu v'higiyanu. You have kept us alive, you have sustained us, you have brought us laziman hazeh, to this time. Amen. To this time. To this time. It's about time. I want to ask you to think about time. It's very slippery. We can think about space very easily. You go up, you go down, you go around, you go right, you go left, you go north, you go south, you go east, you go west. That's not hard to figure out. You roll, you pitch, and you yaw. Thinking about time is harder. You can't go back. You can only go in one direction, and hopefully, hopefully, merrily, 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 you're, you're going gently down the stream, hopefully. Because what choice do you have? Well, our traditions, our Jewish tradition and our Christian tradition teach us to go through time mindfully. And that's what I want to ask you to think about. Going through time mindfully. Because we're at a very interesting juncture in time right now, we Jews and Christians, and this juncture is linked the Christian sacred calendar is based on a Jewish sacred calendar template. That template is the seven weeks between Passover and the Feast of Weeks. Uh, consider what it says in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16. 
you shall count off seven weeks. Begin to count the seven weeks from the day when the sickle is first put to the standing grain. That's a fancy word for saying Passover. You shall then keep the feast of weeks for the Lord your God. You shall rejoice in the presence of the Lord your God. In other words, there's to be a holiday seven weeks approximately from the Passover. More specifically, we know this from the book of Leviticus, seven weeks from the one day after Passover. So seven weeks plus one day, okay, you don't need a lot of math. Seven times seven is 49, plus one is 50. 50 days from Passover is the Feast of Weeks. Back in the day, we used to translate the Feast of Weeks into English as Pentecost, a name which should be familiar to you. From the Greek pente, meaning 50. So there was a holiday 50 days after Passover called Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. That's the biblical background to what you're going to hear. Uh, and I know it's kind of funny for me to quote New Testament to you. You know it better than I, but here's a verse to remember. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verse 1. Someone's going to call it out, I know. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Who is the they? The they, the they is a bunch of Jewish disciples of Jesus. And I want to underscore the word Jewish because their calendar of holidays was a Jewish calendar. They hadn't yet gotten to the Council of Nicaea where the Emperor Constantine, for his own reasons of state, wanted to separate those two calendars. We're three centuries before that. The, the Jewish calendar is resonating in the consciousness of these disciples. So they're together for the Jewish Shavuot, the Jewish Feast of Weeks. So what we see is that the Jewish festival and the Christian festival that will develop from it are very much concerned with how to tell time, how to mark time, how to signify time, and ultimately how to sanctify time. I want to share with you that in the history of religions, which is much older than Christianity and much older than Judaism too, in the history of religions there are two basic ways of telling time, counting time, signifying time, sanctifying time. And I'm going to use some technical terminology for this. There's the way of myth, the mythological way of marking time, and there's the way of history. The way of history is the Jewish and the Christian way of telling time. The way of myth is the ancient pagan way of telling time. Myth is about what is always true. Why does James Taylor say, winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you gotta do is call? Why does he say it in that order? Winter, spring, summer, and fall. Obviously, the answer is simple, because that's the order of the seasons. Why is that the order of seasons? Why does the spring always follow the winter? Why, why will the winter always come back? Well, our picture of the universe involves the Earth rotating on its axis, revolving around the sun. We have a scientific answer, but 
The ancients had a different answer. Think of the Greek answer, Pluto and Persephone. Remember the story? Did you read your Edith Hamilton in high school? I hope you did. <laughs> Persephone goes down to the underworld. She eats the pomegranate seed. She's got to stay there four to six months, depending on which version. Winter will always come back. That's the myth explanation. Notice that myth is about the eternal verities. Myth is about the recurring. Myth is not about the one time. It's a different approach to time. Making the one-time thing sacred is the Jewish contribution to religion, along with monotheism, and in fact, they are linked. Genesis 12, God says to Abram, get going. Leave your home, leave your native land. Go to the place I'm going to show you. That happened once. It doesn't happen every year. It happened once and life changed forever. So think about that in your lives. Some of you had a mentor who inspired you to take up the life work that you have right now, a career, an avocation, a calling. Someone helped you feel that calling. That happened once, and you may affirm it time and again, but that one-time thing changed you. Maybe you're sitting next to a spouse. Your spouse, your significant other. What if you hadn't met that person? What if you hadn't gone to that school? What if you hadn't gone to that mixer? What if you hadn't sat in that seat on that bus ride? Your life would be different today. I'm not saying better, I'm not saying worse, but it would be different. You wouldn't be precisely who you are. And think of your children produced from that union. They would be different. The genetic shuffle would have produced different individuals. Our lives are not only the product of what is always true. Our lives are also the product of what is contingently true, what happens to be true. Life is full of contingencies. By the way, in the history of philosophy, it took philosophers a long, long time to figure that out. They thought it wasn't worthy of philosophical study. They thought that history was just one darn thing after another, not worthy of philosophical analysis. It wasn't until Hegel, which is only 200 years ago, that philosophers thought really seriously about how to think philosophically about time. But we, children of religion, have been thinking about time for thousands of years. It's implicit in our structure. Again, in my Jewish tradition, we experienced God's saving presence when we were enslaved at a particular place in a particular time. It was Egypt. It was the 19th Pharaonic dynasty. It was 3,300 years ago. Were other people enslaved elsewhere? Of course. Did God give other people their exodus? Of course. The Bible tells us that. Amos chapter 9. You Israelites, don't be so full of yourselves. I even gave the Philistines their exodus. So it's not that we're the only ones to experience this, but our contingency makes us who we are, and that's critical 
if we're going to have a relationship to God. You can't have someone else's relationship to God. You have to have your relationship to God. And that depends on who you are, and that depends on the contingencies of your life. Now, Christians know this lesson. Again, it's presumptuous for me to tell you this. I'll just remind you of what you know. God entering into history in a particular place, in a particular time, is the Christian doctrine of incarnation. By the way, the current Pope talks a lot about that. I don't know if you've been following it. He very much talks about the, the humility of the incarnation. God not choosing to be uh, you know, Prince so-and-so. So again, that's part of the away game that I'm pitching right now. So Christians understand that the one time in history makes a huge difference. Now, what I want to tell you is that it's not only formative, it is transformative. For the Jew, the one-time experience of having been enslaved and then having been freed shapes our whole worldview. It says in the Bible, one time, love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus chapter 19. Guess how many times it says love the stranger, love the alien, love the guy from the wrong side of the tracks. Over 50 times. Over 50 times. You could, you could have a scripture for every week where it says, have a place in your heart for the person who seems to be a problem in your neighborhood. Over 50 times. In other words, our formative experience, our contingency, that what happened to happen to us, makes such a difference it establishes our whole perspective. And what about post-biblically? Same thing. Why are Jews today so overrepresented in social justice movements? I mean, just by our numbers, you wouldn't expect there'd be such a heavy representation in social justice movements. It's because this is our orientation. This is the way our gyroscope was set spinning. This is the way we encounter life. And it's true for every group of people. They have their orientation that sets them on their course. We pray it's going to be a good course. Friends, I'll, I'll conclude where I began. We're close to Pentecost, and we're close in Judaism to the Feast of Weeks. These are all about time and how time can change you. What happened to you at one time can become part of who you remain, and hopefully that'll be part of the good that you do in the world. That's how we prepare for Pentecost, by reflecting on what changed for us and how it changed us. And hopefully it changed us for the better, and then we inject that change for the better into the world. For those of you who like popular culture, I'll give you a, a quote that you can take with you. Do you like the musical Wicked? Okay. You know that Glinda's really not bad, after all. 
What does she sing to Elphaba? What does Elphaba sing back to her? It sounds like it could have been written by Christians and Jews, actually. Glinda sings, like a comet pulled from orbit as it passes a sun, like a stream that meets a boulder halfway through the wood. And Elphaba sings, like a ship blown from its mooring by a wind of the sea, like a seed dropped by a bird in the wood. And then they both sing, who can say if I've been changed for the better? I do believe I've been changed for the better. And they both sing, because I knew you, I've been changed for good. What the Jew should say and what the Christian should say is, because I've known God, I've been changed for good. And don't stop there. That's preparing for Pentecost. Then you live through Pentecost. Take that good and use that good to help repair this broken world. Amen.